0: Colossians chapter one, take your Bibles, turn there with me. While you're turning there, I'd keep one hand free because I need to see all of you who have not yet finished your Christmas shopping. Alright. Especially you men, I'm gonna help you out. Let me give you a few ideas, because that's always the hardest part, I know. Now these actually are true life Christmas gifts. Now they are three years old, so those of you who want to be cutting edge and you know you, you can't have the you know last year stuff, you can just go to sleep for a little bit. But for the rest of us looking for good ideas, here's a couple of them for you. I'm trying to find the best way to say this. If you happen to be a narcissist, now if you don't know what a narcissist is, then you're probably not one. Okay, uh, narcissist is somebody who's it's all about me. You know, it's just all about me, and I'm the world's greatest gift to the world. And so, if you're that person, then for your loved ones, you can give them this is these are true now, a life-size replica of yourself <laughs> made out of Legos. Now, if you don't know what Legos are, those little building blocks with knobs on them and you stick them together, a life-size replica of yourself, your wife could have one of those for a smooth $60,000. And if that's a little below you, you intend to spend a little more because your wife deserves more, you could give her an $84,000 teddy bear this teddy bear the fur is made from gold thread the mouth is solid gold the eyes the pupil is made of sapphire and the iris is made of diamonds just eighty four thousand dollars now if those don't get it for you if you're on the other side of the deal Take, for instance, the guy got a story about this this week by email. I don't know if it's true or not. It sounds like it could be, but it could be one of those preacher stories, not real just to make the point. Uh, this guy goes into a department store. It's like Christmas Eve. He hadn't done his wife's shopping like he was supposed to, and so he goes in, and his uh, guy's at work and told him what you, you know, I don't know what to get my wife. It's here it is, Christmas Eve. What do I do? And they said, perfume. You can't go wrong with perfume. So he goes into a department store. And he walks up to the counter and this lady's there and she said, how can I help you? He said, I need to buy my wife a Christmas present. Um, You know, somebody said perfume. She said, it's a wonderful gift. You can't go wrong with perfume. She said, do you have something in mind? He said, I don't have any idea. She said, let me show you. She pulls out this bottle, squirts just a little bit on one of those cards, you know, waves it in front of his face. He went, oh, that smells nice. I like that. She said, this vial, size of my pinky, $500. He said, no thanks. He said, you have something a little cheaper. She said, well, okay. So she reaches under and pulls out a bottle, sprays a card, waves it in front of his face, and he likes it. Okay, it's not quite as you know as what the other one was, but he said, um, I'm afraid to ask if that other one was that much. How much is this one? She said, this one's a bargain. You get a small bottle for $250. He said, no, I need something cheaper. And so as this goes on until finally he's gone through every one of their samples, and he says, I need something cheaper. She pulls out... The last bottle she has, she doesn't even spray it on a card now. She just holds it up and lets them smell it. And he says, how much is that? She says, $25. He said, no, I need something cheaper. She reaches under, grabs a mirror, and holds it up, and she said, give her that. <laughs> go for the Legos, guys. Aren't you glad God didn't go cheap at Christmas time? I want us to talk again today about that little baby that we've sung about today and if you can, I want you to just kind of go with me. It's kind of maybe even if it helps you to close your eyes a little bit and think through this. Gather around at that manger site, in that stable, so many years ago. Gather around all of those animals and these smelly shepherds. And this poor carpenter and his young wife. and Look down into that manger, into the face of that little baby. What do you see? It's hard for us to imagine that, really. We can get the face of the baby. That's not that hard for us to do, really. But to look into the face of that baby and see the reality of what stares back at you, it's hard for us to do, really. Paul says, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, That baby, He says, he is the image of the invisible God. We talked about that last week. And what that basically means is he is God himself. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? I love the song these ladies just sang for us. I listened in the earlier services. They were singing it. It's the first time I'd ever heard it, and I was putting those words and letting them just run through my head. And and I was able to do that twice now because of both services. And, And as I sat in this service listening to that, the, the, the unspeakable reality that God himself is here. That, man, we trivialize Christmas so quickly. What a wonderful truth that is. That God himself is here. He is the image of the invisible God. And then Paul goes on, and we'll pick it up here and what we have to say today. He says of this baby, he is the firstborn of all creation. Then he explains that, "...for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together." He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What do we find in the face of... Of this baby what do we find as we look down into that manger and see that little child as we saw last week he's God in the flesh but now Paul takes us another step with this notice the principle of the truth that he lays out in the second part of verse 15 he is the firstborn of all creation that that causes us to need to step back for a minute I have a son named Brandon on February the 9th 1984 our son Brandon was born. Three weeks overdue. Now, what that means is my wife was not happy for, well, at least three weeks. I'm going to say a little bit more than that. I worked in the oil fields of West Texas at the time, had a company truck. We took that company truck on all the rough caliche roads that we could find for three weeks. She drank castor oil for three weeks I went up and down as quickly as I could without tearing up the undercarriage of that truck over railroad tracks. I did everything I could to force that baby to be born. And finally, three weeks later, he's been late for everything ever since. <laughs> That's our son, Brandon. Brandon has a little brother. His name is Colin. He was born about four years later, roughly. Colin was, well, he was he was on time. I mean, the, on the like the day he was born, on his due date. He's the conscientious one. He's the middle child, as it turns out. But he's not the firstborn. You know why? Because he wasn't born first. That's pretty simple how that works. (laughs) So when we find Paul using this term, the firstborn of all creation... We get that sense of that illustration that there's one who is born first and then there are others who come after. So I want you to kind of hang on to that as we pull this thing together and try to pull it apart and see what Paul is trying to communicate to us. So when we say the firstborn, part of that means firstborn in time. That requires a little explanation. I'll get to that in just a moment. But it also means something else. In America... I want you to be careful how you respond to me here, okay? What do we call, uh, well, there is a guy who is a chief executive of the United States of America. What do we call him? Careful. Very careful now. What is the name of the office of the chief executive officer of the United States? The president, okay? Be very careful how you answer this question. What do we call his wife? The first lady. Why do we call her that? If we use what I just said about my son, we have to say then that she is the firstborn in time. No, not firstborn, but the first in time of all the other ladies. That doesn't fit, right? So there's got to be something else to this. What is the first lady of the United States? She's first... I don't care what your politics are. She's first in importance... That's how we use the term there, all right? It's a title of honor that we give to her. So there's first in time, and there's first in importance, and so when we come back to this passage, Paul says of this baby Jesus that he is the firstborn of all creation. What does he mean by that, first in time or first in importance? And the answer is yes. He's both. Now that ought to cause your little finite mind, okay, that's not a slam on you, that's in the overall scheme of things, our minds are pretty finite, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around certain truths. How can we say a baby born to a woman and her husband, uh, how can we say that he's first in time? Well actually there's some help for us in that, I'm going to come to that in just a moment. But let's pull it back for just a second. Take the first in importance, let it kind of rise to the surface first. Who is this baby? Now, last week we said he's the image of the invisible God, he's God in the flesh, but Paul is not content to leave it there. He takes us another step. Of all who ever were, he is the lead. That means, among other things, here's the kernel of truth that's going to run through this whole message and really ties in on how we apply it as we go. So let me just lay it out there very plainly for us. The basic truth that Paul lays out for us here is that this baby who is God in the flesh, firstborn of all creation, means that he is sovereign ruler of the universe. Now be careful, be very careful when you sign off on that truth. Because when you sign off on that truth, you are also signing off on the willingness to say, if he's first, I have to do what he says. Man, now you see, okay, you could have not gone there and I'd have been fine, preacher. Let's take another step here and we'll come back and pull that truth out again. Verse 16 gives us the basis for the truth of verse 15 that we just looked at. Notice what he says, for by him all things were created. Let's just stop right there for a second. Now what is he saying with that? Where does Paul get that? You remember Genesis chapter 1 verse 1? How does that go? In the beginning God created. Now we could go on, but that's the essence of it. You with everybody okay with that in the beginning God created now some people aren't some people are not okay with that some people just kind of want to say well no it really wasn't just huge explosion out there. Okay so uh, what was able to be exploded where did it come from in the beginning God created now in John chapter 1 verse 1 there's some more information for us here you know how that goes. I'll just read that one to you because it's more than four words and I can't really memorize all that. So John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, Word is capitalized there. That's important. It explains it a little bit further. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And here's the kicker. And the Word was God. God. So now with John and Genesis 1 on each, what we have is a marrying of presentations that leave us at this point. The Word was at creation, and now we take another step. All things were made, well, excuse me, verse 2. He, now the Word is changed to a pronoun, he was in the beginning with God. You know what that means? In the beginning, he already was. Now, think about that. Let your mind cramp on that one. Beginning means what? Beginning. How do you go before the beginning? If you can go before the beginning, it must be the beginning there. Well, not necessarily. In the beginning, he already was. And in verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, if you can explain all of that perfectly well, you should write a book. Because this is a theological truth that even though we can sign off on it, and even though nearly all of us know all of this, I'm not giving you new information at this point, it is still, I would say, humanly impossible for us to explain it as it needs to be explained. The fact is, and it's presented as fact, God created. When that creation occurred, Christ already was. Not only already was he, he was the creator. How then does Paul say in Colossians 1, 15, he is the firstborn of all creation? Now we get to the first in time. You see? But our minds cramp here. Because we start trying to put all of this stuff together. But let me just kind of ease your mind a little bit. First of all, all of our faith is by faith. Okay? If you can explain it away, then it might not be God. It might be you saying, oh, I got this figured out. There's a problem with that. We'll get to that in just a second. So he is the agent of creation. In verse 16, for by him all things were made. Let's just stop and let that sink in for a minute. Jesus Christ, the agent in creation. How big a deal is that? Let's think on the microscopic level first. Because he says, For by him all things were made in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. I asked Spencer to go look up and give us a picture of an Antarctic... Mite, an Antarctic mite. It's named this because it lives in Antarctica. And it's a mite. Isn't that great how science comes up with names for stuff? What's fascinating to me about this Antarctic mite is, for the most part, you can't see it with human eye. I mean, you can if you know what you're looking for, but you'd overlook all of them if you were looking at them and didn't know what you were looking for. But when you take an Antarctic mite, I mean, that's how small it is. When you take an Antarctic mite and put it under a microscope, you get this incredible picture of the detail that is so small that your naked eye cannot discern it. Show us that picture, would you? Wouldn't you like to have that? crawling up your neck right now sometime this afternoon go to the internet and look up pictures of the antarctic mite. there are pictures that look like they come from hollywood horror movies i'm telling you unbelievable stuff on the microscopic level some of you're not going to sleep for a week are you on the microscopic level as small as small can be. We have stuff that is so small that we've developed electron microscopes, and probably worse than that since I was out of school, that help us to look down as small as we can possibly look. Where did that stuff come from? According to Scripture, Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, all things were made by Him. Now you just think, for, just stop for a second. What does it take? to create that I'm talking about just the way it looks you realize one of the things that just astounds me about these things they live in Antarctica one of the most hostile environments on the planet they have developed okay wrong statement that's what the scientists say they have developed a means of survival where they are able to essentially go into hibernation through the worst part of Antarctica's winters. And their systems have a sort of an antifreeze where they can shut down without freezing to death. We can't figure out really how to do that well to keep our cars or our homes from busting pipes. It's one thing for us to figure that out. It's another thing to design that. For by him, all things, take out all things, put in parentheses, Antarctic mites were created. You impressed with him yet? That's quite a baby. And by the time that baby shows up in that manger, all of this already is so if you're not impressed with the microscopic let's go to the telescopic view sometime this afternoon you go out and I mean go to your computer get on your internet and look up images from the Hubble telescope let's see one of those pictures would you you know what that is that looks like a first grade coloring contest actually sometime now I want you to get this Okay, that's looking from space, the Hubble telescope in space, looking out into deeper space. That in itself ought to make us stop and go, okay, no. You remember the old song? He spoke the words and all the worlds came into order. He waved his hand and planets filled the empty skies. How did this get to be? I don't even know what that is. Except I know that it is. Isn't it interesting that scientists can take a telescope and, or build a telescope, put it up, defy all the laws of gravity to get that telescope into the, early, or the outer parts of our atmosphere and shoot that signal out into space and retrieve images, and yet we haven't quite figured out how to send a man out there to look at that in person? Oh, we've great technological advances as people. But there's so much we don't know. Oh, we can postulate, we can write textbooks, and we can do all of those kind of things and come together at the table, believers and unbelievers alike, and say, Yeah, we believe that's truth. How did it happen? Well, you know, that's another story. We got lots of we got lots of ways. We 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 try to figure that out, preacher. I don't have to figure it out. I just take it by faith, for by him all things are created. That's not a naive approach. I'm all for scientists trying to figure out exactly how all that stuff happened. But the bottom line is there's a mover and there's a shaker, there's a creator who says, boom, let it be. Baby in a manger? Oh, yeah. Oh, some baby. He busy long before that night in Bethlehem. For by him, all things are created. Notice what Paul says. Well, let me, let me stop. Let me make sure that we draw that lesson home. Have you figured out yet how you're going to pay for all those Christmas presents? I know that Uncle MasterCard is pretty good at helping you pay for stuff. I had not even figured out what I'm going to get for people. I don't even get to the how am I going to pay. Actually, I've covered the how am I going to pay for a long time ago. But uh, sometimes the how, I mean, what I'm going to get is a lot harder than the how I'm going to pay for it. What can you get for $1.50? That's hard. (laughs) But let's get to real issues. Let's get to some of those issues that are right down on the bottom shelf where we live. That relationship that you're in, that's eating your lunch, how are you going to deal with that? That boss that you have, who you often wonder if he's not the devil in the flesh, how are you going to make peace with working for a guy like that? those finances that you have that you cannot seem to juggle, and Peter and Paul are both rebelling now, getting, about, getting robbed and paid, how are you going to come up with enough money to cover all of that? Or the worst of all of those, that deep, gnawing part of the inside of you that keeps you awake at night because you're just not happy. What do you do with that? Doesn't it make sense that if we can acknowledge that this baby, that we celebrate his birth this time of the year, every year, doesn't it make sense that if he's who Paul says he is, who Scripture reveals him to be, doesn't it make sense that he can help us with all of those little problems that I just talked about? My goodness, he figured out how to make an Antarctic mite with a body full of antifreeze and it still lives. Do you think maybe he could figure out how to give you answers about the things that bother you? Do you think if he spoke the word in all of space, all of that was there? You think he's got enough wisdom to weigh in on your dilemma? If he's got the power to do all of that, do you think he's got the power to wade into your situation and save the day? But you see, our world is so willing to say, let's do Christmas. Well, we've people rebelling about that now. But maybe that's because Christians haven't lived out the true meaning of Christmas long enough for them not to have an argument against Christmas. Hello? Maybe this little baby who is God in the flesh, the firstborn of all creation, maybe he has something to say to our lives today. So Paul says he is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And with this now, Paul takes us another step. Oh, that Paul, he's always meddling with us. Paul comes now and he wades into the first century heresy called Gnosticism. And the Christians at Colossae, this town of Colossae, were beginning to have some issues with that. It's one of the reasons he writes the book in the first place. And Paul says to this Gnostic heresy group in that church, this Jesus is not who you say he is. That's important because who they said he was was some kind of a distant iteration away from God. Let me say it to you this way. The Gnostic heresy essentially said this that all spirit was good and all matter was evil. Okay? So the way that plays out is God is good and holy and separate from matter which is earth or stuff that you can tangible stuff all right and so if god is holy and good over here and matter is tangible and evil over here god can't touch matter because it messes him up somehow there's some heresy for you but the see there's a problem with that when you start talking about creation because scripture says in the beginning who created God created. But the Gnostic heresy in the first century church was saying, no, God couldn't have created because he's too holy to get his hands dirty with that. So they, in their minds, brilliant people, idiots, they devised a system that said if God's here and good and matters here and evil, then there were these lesser spiritual beings, each one a further step removed from God, begins to take on a little bit of evil. And so somewhere in those different levels of spiritual beings, one of them finally did the creating. Now what does Paul say about that? There's a theological term that we use about that belief. Baloney. What does Scripture say? John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and He created all things. Paul wades into a first century heresy and he says it this, I'll put it in my terms. You can't define God. (laughs) You can try all day long to tell who you believe God is doesn't change who he is. Now that's important for us. Because especially at Christmas time, we have a world full of people who are willing to say, okay, that's God in the manger. But don't let him out of the manger because he gets dangerous when he starts growing up. You don't believe that, read the Gospels. Because that baby in the manger grew up to be a man who began to challenge the religious intelligentsia of his day. You know what they did with him for that? They put him on a cross and they killed him. We do that today. Same thing. We like the baby in the manger. Everybody loves a baby. Well, not everybody. I like them when I see them and then they go to their home. And I would have liked that baby the same way. Don't I don't want to change a diaper. I change my kid's diaper occasionally. I don't want to change your kid's diaper. That's why they don't want me in the nursery over there, okay? We have people over there who love doing that for your kids. I'm glad they do. What a great ministry. Everybody loves a little baby. But, boy, you let that baby grow up, becomes a teenager, whoo baby that's trouble and then you let that teenager grow into a young man who knows the heart of God that baby turned the first century Jewish world on its ear and reverberations of that continue to go out through eternity see we don't get to define God but we like to Oh, it's a lot easier, a lot safer. Here's how we do that. Okay, we're going to let you be the baby in the manger. We'll even let you grow up and be the Savior on the cross. But we don't want you to be the king on the throne. Because the king on the throne gets to call the shots. And personally, I don't know about you. Yeah, I do know about you. You're just like me. Personally, I like calling the shots of my life. I'm 50 years old. I figured out the times that I really try to call the shots on my life is a royal mess. Paul says you can't define God. He is who he is. Regardless of the heresies that you or we might want to embrace, he is who he is, the agent of creation. But he's also the focus of creation. Notice this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And what's the next preposition? For him. What is the goal of all of this creation? It is to bring glory to the Creator. I took some shots from some of y'all. Y'all are the mean crowd. The early crowd didn't do this to me, but uh, I'm kidding about that. When I first moved here, I took some shots from some of y'all. Well-intended, good-natured, but you made fun of me because I like trees. Now, I'm no tree hugger, okay? I totally get the political implications of that. I'm not that. I think we ought to be good you know, stewards of all of creation, but um, when I got here, I... I don't even tell you about it anymore because you always make fun of me. It's all right. I don't have hurt feelings or anything. My wife tell you I don't have any feelings, so that's not a problem. I like going out and sitting in my backyard. Let me just challenge you today. I know it's raining. been crying about not getting any. Go sit in it for a while today and enjoy it, okay? I like to go sit in my backyard and look at the trees. I'm a nut. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. You know why I like going and living, in, no, sitting in, not living in the backyard, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that I like sitting in the backyard and looking at the trees, because for 50 years of my life I lived where there weren't any. Man, I appreciate trees. I like going out and sitting and just looking. My mind goes nuts. I have these trees in my backyard. I don't know how, how tall they are, pine trees, about, you know, whatever average are around here. And I'm thinking, how long does it take that tree to get that tall? I look at that and I think about all of the biological life, the system that's tied to that. Every bit of that under the control of Jesus Christ, the Creator. That tree doesn't have exactly the right conditions. It won't grow at all, much less to be what it is. How do you think that happens? hand of the creator. If you can sit out in the forest on a deer stand or wherever it happens to be on the lake, on a creek somewhere, bio, excuse me, if if you can sit out there and not see the hand of God, you're not looking hard enough. Because his handiwork is everywhere. His thumbprint is everywhere on creation. And it all brings glory to him. Why? Well, look at it. Try to figure it out. We're still discovering stuff. and We call it new truth, a new discovery. I'm sorry. It's been there forever. It was part of how it was designed. Wow. That's some baby laying in that manger there. How much of your life is specifically geared towards glorifying God? How much time do you spend every day stepping back from the hectic season and just being, mo- just being blown away by the handiwork of God? Verse 17. And he is before all things. There's the firstborn, by the way, of creation. And in him all things hold together. Look at your watch. Look at your watch. It is time for me to finish. I get it. But look at your watch. If it's working, then that argues for a watch creator somewhere. Doesn't it? I mean, it didn't materialize on your wrist. Somewhere, somebody made a watch and they designed it where it could work. And whoever that person was, you have no clue and it doesn't matter. It continues to work. You know, there, That is the exact theological argument, argument that some people have about who God is. He's the great watchmaker. And he designed all of this and he put it together and he pushed it out there and now he sits back and just watches it with no involvement at all. It's time for that theological term I taught you a little while ago. Baloney. God's not some disenfranchised, disengaged divinity. He is the God according to what Paul says here, and in him all things hold together. You know what that means? That means that if you are investing your life in him, allowing him to live his life through you, your life's together. Why is it that we have so many Christians in so many churches whose lives are a wreck And my argument would be that those people likely have left him in the manger. They've not let him be who he is. The Lord of all the universe. Oh, he's a baby in the manger. But he's so much more than that. So let's pull it all together, that one truth that I told you about earlier. And I'll close. If he is all of these things that Paul says, and he is if he is then there is only one logical response to that you do what he says if he's really God and he is then we don't really have much of a choice about whether we're going to be in control or not do we the only real choice is to submit to that. He's sovereign. He's Lord. He's ruler. He's creator. He's involved. And so we bow the knee to him and say, not my will, but yours. Well, that changes prayer. That changes everything about life when you get right down to it. So what do you do? I'm sure glad God didn't go on the cheap at Christmas, aren't you? You responded better before I preached. I hope that you're glad God didn't go on the cheap for Christmas. Let's pray. And so, Father, once again, we find ourselves face to face with a choice. We're so sorry for the times that we have chosen to play God. We try to put you in a little box and we try to tell you how it's going to be. All the while, we totally disregard the fundamental truth that you're God. So, Father, I pray now that you'd move in our hearts for that stubborn will of ours, the pride that says, I'm going to be in charge. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. If necessary. For those of us that are especially stubborn, Father, I pray that you would do what you have to do to break us and find that life is worth living only when we live it according to the designs of our Creator. That is, in fact, why you came in that manger in the first place, is to give us life. And we thank you for that. just issued this invitation to all of us today. Heads bowed, still eyes closed could very well be that we're full of people here today who have been living their lives as if they are God and we left that baby in the manger and we're content to leave him there. But right now, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. You can't wait to get out of here because it's uncomfortable. Let me just encourage you to surrender to the creator of the universe who died for you want to do that. Today is the day of salvation. We stand in just a moment. Just make your way to the front. We'll talk with you, pray with you. Explain how you can have life in Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't Wait for somebody else. Today is the day to get that straight. Many of us made a decision to follow Christ, but yet what we meant by that is we want the fire insurance to stay out of hell. Not let him be God. Right now, He's revealing things in your life that you need to surrender to Him. Make it so. You don't have to walk the aisle to do that. It might help. It might help to come down here and pray. It might help to come down here and talk. We'll pray with you. Me or one of the deacons. The deacon's wife. We'll pray with you. But you're the one who has to make the choice. Who will be God? By the way, Back to that Mime Team presentation earlier. That Sovereign Lord of the Universe says, You're my body. You need to be out there reaching people with the good news of Christmas and Easter. Let's be obedient. Let's stand. During this time of invitation, you come.